Welcome back to The Everyday Hair Colourist. Today's special guest, and I mean special guest, is the woman that changed my career and has influenced so many hairdressers across the world, either directly or indirectly. Her name is Nancy Braun. Hello, Nancy. Hi, Jack. That was such a sweet introduction. Thank you. I got a little weepy on that. Well, you know, whenever I teach a class, I always talk about you and how you influence me. And I always talk about my terrible <laughs> behavior in my first couple of classes with you, where I turn up for the morning session and then go shopping in the afternoon. And you never, ever said anything to me, but you actually ribbed me for it ever since. But um, yeah, I met Nancy, I think we met in 1999, 1998. I mean, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, definitely the 90s. De definitely the 90s. And for the audience that don't know Nancy, probably everybody on my podcast has virtually spoken about her. Um, she's such a huge influence within the industry. And really, when people talk about kings and queens of balayage, and it's easy to put that title on top of someone's name, Nancy truly is the person that brought it to the American public, the American hairdressing public, who then brought it to the rest of the world. Nancy, a little bit about your career before we go any further with that, because it's a f fascinating career. You grew up in Kentucky. I did, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, my mom was a hairdresser. And so when I was about 15 years old, I think she was a little bit worried about her girl and focus. And she said, I'm going to put you in beauty school for the summer. So while everybody else was getting a job going to McDonald's and making money, uh, you know, she put me in school because she wanted me to have, she, she really wanted me to have some type of trade or skill that, in addition to going to college uh, that I could have. And so she put me in beauty school at 15. And so by the time I was 17, I graduated. And uh, let me tell you, those Catholic nuns were not happy <laughs> about the fact that I went to beauty school. And this is a true story. Sister Shannon, who was the vice principal of the school, called my mom in and said, um, I want to talk to you because I understand from the guidance counselor for college that Nancy is not going to go to college and that you have put her in a very low level career of being a hairdresser or a beautician, I guess, at that time. And my mom sat there in her office like she's being scolded. And she said, are Nancy's grades dropping? And my mom and Sister Shannon said, no. And, and my mom picked up her purse and she said, well, when they do, feel free to contact me. I love it. Feisty. Until then, like she was getting docked for work by having to go to this meeting. Yeah. And she was a single mom with two kids and, you know, and, and had uh, a widow, uh, you know, her mother was a widow. So we were, you know, a very small, tight knit family. But I was like, you really told Sister Shannon that? <laughs> and so that was kind of a funny moment. But that's actually how I ended up in the industry. And, um, I remember being 15 and saying to my mom, I don't want to be a hairdresser. And she said, well, I don't want you to be a hairdresser. I just want you to get your license. And I was too dumb to have a good argument for that. <laughs> I'd have something to say today. But, but in that moment, I was like, you know, I felt like I was kind of being forced into yeah. it. And, uh, and then it turned out to be a career that I absolutely adore and love it still 30 plus years later. I like the plus bit. That's what I've started doing now, 30 plus years. But yes, I mean, your career is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, so you're in Kentucky. You've got your license. What do you do? You're, you're 17. 
so I'm 17. I go to college. Um, yeah. And, you know, I got a pair of scissors and a water bottle and uh, a cape. And the next thing you know, I was cutting everybody's hair in town. So I had, you know, I'd, I'd go to the boys' dorm and I'd have one boy and he'd tell all his friends. And the next thing you know, five bucks a haircut. Boom, boom, boom. You know, Nancy was like cranking them out. And so it was interesting because I, I always had cash, right? Yes. I always knew I was going to have cash. And, um, you know, that was great because I thought, gosh, this is pretty good. And then my mom said, you really need to learn how to cut hair properly. So I went to work for a guy named Jerry Spry who learned how to cut from Sassoon and it was very geometrical. And he had literally cameras overhead and cameras coming from the side and almost what looked like a Jewish star on the phone so that you could see your angles when you were pulling the hair out. To, to, he could measure it if you were like 47 degrees versus 45 degrees. And so I learned how to cut hair from him and, you know, it was a pretty good hair cutter. I had a pretty strong male clientele, but I didn't know anything about hair color. And so he, his sister was the colorist and she, she was only one person. We were a specialized salon in the 80s. Which is, was right? a rarity, a rarity in those days. In Lexington, Kentucky, <laughs> when I was going to college, right? Like imagine. So anyway, uh, the sister did this technique called color blending. And what she did is she took uh, foils and did really thin micro pieces of hair and she blended People with gray hair, she put brown in and people, you know, she added blonde. And so it was very refined work. Well, anyway, she and the brother got into a fight. Next thing you know, she quit and he didn't have a color specialist. So, hello. I was like dumb and young enough to say, I'll try it. Oh, my goodness. That, I did not know this. And that's what that's how I kind of got started into color. So I called a friend of mine who knew L'Oreal and I said, can you help me? And she said, oh, you know, Maji Blonde was the product at the time. And she's like, you know, use that one. It's easy to use to make people light. And then I just looked at the color chart and started guessing like medium brown and would mix a five Majorelle with 20 volume. Have no idea what I was doing, but because I was putting it in such little pieces, I didn't have any major disasters. Thank goodness. Wow. Wow. Nancy Braun foiling, first of all, which I think is incredible. People laugh when they hear about it from me, but from you. Oh, yeah. When I, when I pick up a foil at the salon, people come over and they're like, like want to take my temperature. And that's not <laughs> even a funny joke in today's world. They're like, are you okay? And I'm like, you know what? Mm. Listen, not every client knows that maybe I don't always pick up a foil. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. You're colorist at heart. Back room, back room chat. <laughs> so how did you get to New York? So... Um, after so after I graduated college and I got a degree in marketing and jur in uh, journalism and communications, um, I sat you know I, I sat down and I sent my resumes out to everybody and I didn't hear from one company, not one. So this is the funny caveat of the story. I sent a uh, resume to L'Oreal and I never heard anything back. My mom saw an ad in the Louisville Courier Journal and she decided to answer it for me for L'Oreal. And so she put what, what, you know, she could remember from what my history was. And the next thing you know, I got a call for an interview. Well, then I got nervous that they had two different resumes because, you know, there were no computers at that time. It wasn't like mom could just pull it up. She just went by the top of her head. She was an executive secretary. So she sent off, 
the resume. And next thing you know, I got an interview and I got a job with L'Oreal when I was 25 years old, 24 actually, and uh, got the opportunity to be what, what we, I think we were called um, technical managers at that time. Right. And I would go around and teach people how to use the L'Oreal level system. And so that was my first corporate big job after college. And, you know, I wanted to tie hairdressing in with advertising, but I didn't realize that there really wasn't in-house advertising. Those were all agencies that had accounts. So when I got that job and I was 24 and I was hungry, and I mean hungry because I didn't have any work, um, I took it. And I went to New York and did a six-week training uh, with Jimmy Vieira and Marion Walsh and some great people that taught me some amazing things in my life. And then I went back to Kentucky and became a technician. And I worked in the area for probably, I guess, maybe 10 or 11 months. And then I got the call to come to New York and run the academy. Wow. And they took a gamble on me for the academy because the truth is, you know, I was a good technician and I was learning as I was doing, but I had not been a colorist in the salon, really, you know, like microfoils is not being a great colorist. So I learned a lot while I was teaching. And um, I do believe that because I had a college degree, that that was one of the things that set me apart that uh, made them bring me into New York with the lack of experience in that way. Yes, because some some of the big corporations do like the college degree thing, and I've always liked it, haven't they? Yeah, and you know, it, it was just a good thing that I did it, and my mom wanted me to have it. That was important to her that you know I had a degree, and so you know I just followed her plan. <laughs> and now look at you. Now look at me <laughs> in quarantine. <laughs> Now, balayage, when did you first see it properly and what did it spark in you? So the first time I saw balayage was on the container of pure platine. Do you remember that girl with that little wave in her hair, short, and she had those little beautiful wavy pieces and I was, and that was a lightener that we were about to launch. Right. And so, um, I saw that and, you know, at that time we were taking it off our hands and putting it in the teeth of the comb and painting it on the hair that way. Right, that whole flying Um, colors kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And then I did a program with Jacques Dessange and I saw uh, Francis, who's a French hairdresser, uh, who started building this head with cotton and plastic and I thought well what in God's name is this you know my Kentucky was coming out and then they pulled all that saran off and that cotton and washed her hair and I was like that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen I want to learn how to do that that's amazing isn't it because I think that when you actually see it for the first time, if it speaks to you on a sort of organic, personal level, that's what just captures you. And to see something that looks, you know, coming from a background where precision cutting and precision foils and all that, and see something that looks so chaotic at some time or so different and you can't understand it, and then the end result is so beautiful and magnificent and fresh and natural and all of those things. That's exactly what, I mean, I just fell madly in love with that result. And I was like, wow. How can I 
how can I set myself up for some of that? Mm. Yeah. So, of course, Jack Assange were the ones that really launched Balayage in, its, in the 80s, but it was the Carita sisters in 74 that did all the cotton and everything. What... Um, so you decided to set about learning it. So you're teaching at the academy and you decide that you want to learn this. How did you, how did you learn it? Where did you go? So I watched uh, a lot of Dessange, you know, yeah. and uh, we were involved with Frederick Fakai at the time. And yes. uh, he would come and, and teach and do various programs. Um, and when he would come, he would always bring a color team and, you know, work with the color team. And then... Um, you know, just playing with it and, and starting to get a little bit familiar with it. But it really, really wasn't until I went to work for Frederick yes. that I embraced it in a way where, you know, I almost didn't even want to pick up a foil because I wanted to become so versed in this. I think the, the, for the audience on the UK side, and I, I often talk about this too, Frederick Fakai was the person that brought Balayage to to the American market. He was French. It was part of his core thing, wasn't it? And that's what he was doing in New York on top of Bergdorf's and women were flocking to that salon there. And so that's where you were when you learned this. Frederick was associated with Dessange before. So he had a great familiarity with it. And a lot of people, you know, sometimes people think Frederick just started as Frederick. Well, he didn't, no. right? No, he didn't started... he come from Washington, D.C.? No, he didn't. He came from, he, he, he was in Paris, uh, the story is he had a girlfriend who um, who told him he should be a hairdresser. And so he went to beauty school and his parents were very upset. Apparently they were not happy about that choice. And then he ended up in New York at a salon. Well, he was at Dessange and then he and Dessange had a breakup, so to speak. And uh, he decided to go work at a salon called Mr. Mark. And he was, pretty much ready to give up on New York. And apparently the story that I heard is that he was on a plane. He went back and the head of Bergdorf Goodman, Don Mello said, I want that guy. I want that guy. And I want to put him in Bergdorf Goodman. Wow. And so he, he came back, took the flight, came back. And, uh, you know, the rest is history because once he ended up at Bergdorf's, you know, that was where he made his name. You know, even though he was successful at Dessange, he made his name and everything at Bergdorf Goodman. Yes. And what a great place to make it at, right? Mind Bergdorf you. Bergdorf Goodman is the most fantastic department store in New York City. Um, amazing department store. So beautiful place to work on the top floor there. That was the salon. And I learned a great deal from him. I mean, I have to say, you know, Frederick is one of those people in my life that gave me an opportunity, gave me a chance. And, you know, I stepped up to it. I matched it. But without him giving me the opportunity, you know, and I'm forever grateful for that. And, and also the balayage part of it in conjunction with L'Oreal really, you know, set my career in a different path. Yes. Let's talk about that path, Nancy. So you're at Fakai's and you are learning from these incredible balayage artists. You've, you've embraced it. You want it. But you were the first person to bring it to a product company in the USA to teach it nationally. And I, from what I remember, and I think I, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it was you that set that up. And it was from there that it all began, didn't it? 
Really? That's actually, that's true. Yes, that is true. So if we backtrack a little bit, you know, I was a corporate employee for L'Oreal. So I had many different jobs with L'Oreal. And if we backtrack with that, it's like I was a, I worked in Kentucky. I moved to New York. Um, I took a job with uh, the L'Oreal Consumer Group where we did all product testing and development. And they were grooming me to take over that the position of James Vieira, who, who ran the technical center for like 35, 40 years. And I just didn't want that. That's what they wanted for me. And so that's when I began having discussions with Frederick and, you know, he said, well, I'm going to open up a salon in California. And I said, well, I'm, I'm interested in that for sure. Cause I'd love to live in California. And so anyway, he, um, Gave me that opportunity. So when I worked for Frederick, Frederick kind of at that moment was like, yeah, balayage is ours. We don't really want to teach it to a lot of people other than our own team. And, I, you know, as an educator, that just, you know, just seemed like, ugh, right? That was so very I much, waited a, it was, sorry, it was very much a way that most companies thought at that time that they didn't want to share their secrets. They wanted to keep it to themselves, which is quite unhairdressing now. But in that time, it was very much the the normal. Absolutely right. That was the normal. And that's what people, that's what, that's what happened. And so anyway, I respected his, um, his wishes. And I kind of just, you know, learned the culture and stayed in the group for about a year. And then I went and somebody called me and asked me to do a hair show separately on my own. So I actually took the team of people that I worked with in LA. I paid for them myself to go to this event called um, International Hair Color Exchange. And we were, you know, one of, there were probably maybe 2,000 people there, 1,000, 2,000 people. We were in Vegas and uh, we were on this little one foot platform and the main stage was going on and we had the entire audience standing around us. Right. Like they left the main stage and came to stand around this little platform to see what we were doing. And I was like, wait a second, we got something here. This is, this is too good to not figure out how can we exploit this in a way that will be helpful to everybody. So Kathleen Maddie LaSalle was in charge. Yeah. She was in charge at the time. And I said, you know what I'd like to do is, I'd like to do a balayage class. And she's like, yeah, I don't know if anybody's really interested. And I'm like, let me do it for free. I said, let me see if there's any interest. And if there is, then we can figure out, you know, what direction to go. And, and then, you know, through that process, she moved on into other positions and the Academy was on Mercer street, as you well know, and you know, you know where your little shopping corner (laughs) is. And, uh, and, and that's where it all started. And that was in the nineties and, you know, it was fantastic. Yeah. I think that, I think for some people listening in, it would be hard for them to imagine what it was like to see something so different in commercially in hairdressing at that time. Because I think that now, of course, everyone sees images of it all the time and they're watching YouTube videos and all of that. But then there was none of that. Right. available and it was just mesmerizing to watch somebody paint it was uh visually it was beautiful and it was also had this sort of delicacy about the whole thing it was an art form it is an art form it is and it was uh, you know it it wasn't easy but it was learnable and it was teachable and you know from my experience of the kind Dessange, nobody had put it into a proper program and that was my background so because i had that background i was like i can make this to course, you know, and I think 
initially I named it Balayage 101. I think that's what I used to call it at the academy. And then we went like to advanced balayage and color corrective balayage and, you know, balayage creative. Yeah. All yeah. Of and, you know, and, and foundations and methods and, you know, all these various names it's turned into. But, you know, what I did and, and where I came into it was I formalized it and I made it an actual program. Yes. And then from there, uh, with the the help of uh, Kate O'Shell, and I, I think, you know, she, she was really one of the main people behind creating the certification program for it. Yeah. And yeah. that's how that began. And so, you know, a lot of great people throughout the way. So, Nancy, I think that you undersell yourself in a lot of ways because... I mean, it was massive what you did. You saw something that you felt spoke to you, but you also felt and saw the interest that it had in other hairdressers. And I, you know, I came on a couple of balayage courses with you to begin with and wasn't fully, fully there. And I, I still see that in some of the courses I run, people who have not, not taken it on board fully. And I, re- I remember going back into the salon I worked at at the time and a French guy being there, obviously Dessange, who was working away and... It was watching him and then coming back with you that I finally mastered it. it it's not easy to master. And, and, but you always taught it in simplistic terms, which I'm forever grateful for. Um, but you're the first colorist that I had met who wasn't a salon owner at that time that spoke about making money and having a really successful life. And you've always been really honest about that. Um, and you, you didn't hear that at the time. It was all creative, 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 but nothing about hairdressers need to learn how to save money and, you know, not get wrapped up in Gucci and Valentino and all of those things and actually get their core business together. Well, that's true. That's, that's true. I mean, I think, you know, no one in school or when you're apprenticing in Europe, you know, is really taught those ropes about, about money and, you know, it, it always seemed like, why are we not talking about that? I mean, I worked in one of the most successful salons. I mean, Frederick at that time was doing like $12 million a year. Yeah. I'm like, a hair salon is doing $12 million? You know, I worked with a, a colorist named Constance Hartnett who taught me so much about balayage. Yes. Um, another guy named Hubert Cartier, although I'm not sure if he's related to the Cartier family, but another great artist. And, um, and then Frederick, who was just a master of making transformations and changes in people and warming up their color and delivering balayage and all of that. And I thought, why are we not talking about how to earn money from this? Mm. And so I thought that was a really important aspect to teach as well as to teach the technique and how to market yourself. And these were, you know, these were way before the social media days, you know, this is when, this is when you just did good work and your good work brought you a new client. Yeah, if you were lucky. Well, if you did good work, women talk. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. you, you know, they're sitting at lunch and, you know, they see one woman's hair look a little bit better than the other one. And they're like, uh, where did you get your hair done? And, you know, they leave, you know, if they see something they like, especially with a, a haircut, they're more apt to leave than they are their colorist. So um, I thought it was a great conversation to incorporate into the class, how to make money as well as how to do this technique, how to market yourself how to set yourself apart from everybody. Yes. So you, you've been uber successful at teaching balayage, and I think there's a, a world of hairdressers forever grateful to you. But at the point when I left the States, you were still working for other salons. 
when you left the States, I might've had my own salon. I might've had a business partner at that time, but yes, I worked for Frederick and then I opened up my own salon with a partner. Then they came in, tripled our rent after we were there for five years because the right. Melrose area exploded. Yes. That's what happened. And so then I decided like, listen, I, you know, I put $250,000 of my own money in that property that I had to walk away and leave in it. Mm. And I thought, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. So, um, and I put 250 in, my partner put 250 in, and that was a lot of money to lose. It was a lot of balayage to do. Yes. And so at the end of the day, you know, I went and, you know, we recession hit. And so I decided to uh, lease a chair at Kristoff. Yeah. And I did that for five years. And then I missed the intimacy of having a small salon in a, a beautiful, you know, environment where where people were professionals and respected the uh, the environment and the hair. And it wasn't just a hodgepodge of a lot of different people, you know, just all renting chairs in a big giant salon. Yeah. Which it, it, it's quite often the way in America, isn't it? Lots of people renting chairs, working under one banner, coming and going as they want. So there isn't always uh, an aesthetic that fits everyone's need. So you took the plunge. So I took the plunge again. 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 And this time I said, I'm going to do it on my own. So I found a beautiful space and decided to do 10 chairs and just keep it nice and small. And, you know, decided to work with just a few professionals who wanted to do great hair. Now, not only then are you salon owner, successful businesswoman, balayage, top dog on it, as far as I'm concerned, but you also do loads of celebs. You don't talk about it, yet I know from my own personal experience that some of the ladies that you look after when they're in London, you send them to me, some really big names. What was the thought process on that, Nancy? Because in this era, you know, 2021, everyone is flashing everything up on the screen. Uh, Everything's on Instagram. You know, there is no, it seems nothing sacred in there. Yet you've managed to keep it all clamped down. And that must, it's different. It's a different approach. Yeah, I think when I grew up in the salon industry, I grew up in an industry where it wasn't talked about. Like you did celebrities, you didn't take pictures of them while they were processing, you know, you didn't take pictures at all. You didn't take selfies that, you know, if you took a selfie, you were considered like braggadocious, you know, that's, that's the way of the world today. So uh, yes, I grew up in a different era. However, um, you know, Frederick never wanted us to use the celebrity names, you know, he was not into that. And so, you know, that was something that, you know, he wanted to hold sacred. And, you know, I realized that, you know, you have relationships with these people and, you know, they have relationships with a lot of people. Yes. So doing their hair, it's a very intimate thing. And I just like to keep that private. Now, if I have a beautiful actress who's on the cover of a magazine, you know, I I love to, you know, put that out there that I took care of that client and that I did that work. Um, but I don't, um, I don't want to use them in that way as far as when they're in the salon, asking them for selfies and things like that. Mm. You know, I mean, they're already getting chased by the paparazzi when they're, they're at my place. So that is frustrating. Yes. You know, yeah, very frustrating. I mean, you know, I, we had one guy, well, there were like 10 guys at the window, literally banging on the window and, you know, I had to take my client and move her into the private room and call the police. Yeah. 
not nice really for because them. they're really aggressive here they're really aggressive they want that picture and I, it's interesting this one celebrity um i said you know what i don't know how they know you're here because i didn't tell anybody and she said they drive by nance and they see my license plate and they know they know our license plates mm. and because I'm in a street where there's several salons and several high-end salons. That's what, uh, that's, that's one of the things that happens. Yeah. Not very nice. Is it at all? Now you, oh, well, not very not nice for, for them. them. I mean, I've seen you at the Oscars with people. Um, I know, I know that you've been on film set. It's really interesting to talk to a lady from Kentucky, a girl from Kentucky who's been on movie sets. How did the, TV and film stuff happen for you as well? Because this is just this massive career. Yeah, well, the nice thing is, is it's been lots of different angles of yes. the same career, right? So at the end of the day, I'm doing hair. Yes. But, uh, you know, it's what setting am I doing it in? You know, am I doing it for a manufacturer? Am I doing it for a movie? Am I doing it for a client? Am I doing it, you know, for my family? But we're doing hair at the end of the day. So I was really fortunate and I got to work on the movie Legally Blonde. And I met this amazing hairdresser named Joy Zabahada. And Joy was the head hairstylist on that. And she called us in to do the work. And so we did everybody on that. Then we did the Fast and Furious after that. Um, and it's interesting. On Legally Blonde, we're in the, uh, in the credits, right? They right. do one of those, like the backstory thing, which is really fun. And, uh, but we, I never did Reese's hair. And I did that, uh, the actor, daughter. Yes. And apparently, this is a little inside funny story, but apparently Allie saw, I mean, Reese saw Allie's hair and said, well, why doesn't my hair look like that? I want my hair to look like that. Oh, we like that. And it's, well, we do like it, but at the same time, you know, the hairdresser had to deal with that. I didn't have to. So that's, that's how I started, you know, and, and then again, you know, you make relationships with people yeah. and, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, you do hair. Actually, what I do is I build relationships with people and, and hair is the byproduct. Yeah. And so joy has been a great uh, asset to me. And, you know, I think I've been a good asset to her. Um, I got to meet several other hairdressers from her that work on movie sets and they like to call in an outsider to do the color work because they don't want to take a chance if it doesn't come out well. And I understand that, yeah. you know, fully. I, I got to work on Tropic Thunder and, and got to go to Hawaii and do it. So that was, you know, fantastic. Working with Jack Black and uh, Ben Stiller and uh, Robert Downey Jr. What a dream. He's a <laughs> dream boat. <laughs> what do you think the main difference between doing hair for a movie and hair within the salon is or is there not one totally different so there's a thing called a continuity book yes that the hairdressers that have to start have uh you know the the set hairdresser the head hairdresser as they're called and they start recording and uh taking pictures of everything and so you know you may do the the hair color for them but they may be shooting it over four weeks or six weeks so you may be touching that hair up every 10 days so that there's no outgrowth yeah. uh and you know obviously that's great when it's a single very tough when it's a highlight yes. right and so you got to have those little ways to cheat it along the way but it's it's very different because, you know, shadows show up so much on television and film. And for whatever reason, everybody hates it. They want those blondes, super blonde. 
<laughs> Every blonde wants to be a super blonde, though, don't they, really? That's somewhere. You can always be blonder, thinner and richer, right? Isn't that what we say? Absolutely. They do say that. <laughs> I'm never going to be any of them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you're, all, you're all of them. What are you talking about? All right, Nancy, so let's talk about Instagram because you're not, you're a fan, but you're not a fan of it. Take me through that because, I, you know, I've become obsessed with it. Uh, most people I know are obsessed with it. Yet you are much calmer and more underground. Yet everyone knows who you are. <laughs> anyone who's anyone knows who you are. So it's like you don't even need the gram, really. You just, you're Nancy. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, no, I mean, with Instagram, and you know, obviously it started with Facebook. And from Facebook, you know, moved to Instagram and Snapchat and now TikTok and all the all the other things. Everything's something to keep up with. However. Um, you know, in embracing it, you know, I do a little bit, but I'm not on it all the time. One of the things I was really frustrated about, about probably, I guess, like six years ago, is I thought all the work looked the same. And I got a little discouraged by like, you know, where's people's creativity? Like, why is everybody just copying everything they see? How come they're not inventing, you know, along the way? And, um, you know, that was just one of my thoughts about it. And it's also just a lot of time and energy. I mean, I, how can I, I mean, you're the king of it, you know. I mean, I own a salon, you know, I work in New York, I work in Los Angeles, I teach and educate. I just don't have time for that. Although in this quarantine time, I should have had plenty, but <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, I just kind of kept my, uh, you know, my steady schedule. I, I'm happy to post some things. I do Facebook lives. I do, um, you know, some stuff for Instagram as well, but I've really never used that as a vehicle to pr promote myself, you know, to try to get clients. I've always been able to get clients by other clients, recommendations, other hairdressers, just like you and I send each other clients, you know, yeah. of course we yeah. do. It's like, I know if I've got a client who's going to be in London, you know, I don't want her to see anybody else. Because I know that you will do the right thing and I know that you will take great care of them. And just as much as them getting their hair colored in a way that's, you know, exceptional, I want them to have the experience. Yes. And, you know, not everybody gives the experience, you know. Yeah. Some people are great technicians and lousy at experience and some people are great at experience and lousy at techniques. So, you know, you're, you're the full Monty and that's who I want my clients in the hands of and that's how I've built, yes. you know, having referrals. You said something really interesting in this podcast today, and that was that it was all about relationships. And you've obviously built a fantastic career on relationships with people that have led you to the next step, this step, the next step, whatever step. What advice would you, as a balayage expert, as an educator with so many years under your belt, what is your advice to people that are trying to hone their skills? Practice, practice, practice. That's it, isn't it? It's that simple. It's that simple. Get your hands in hair. I don't care if it's a mannequin head. I don't care if it's your sister or your mother. As long as somebody's got a little bit of hair, right, that you can practice. And you're never going to be good at something unless you stay at it. And that's just the bottom line. So it's like working out, right? If you don't exercise your muscles, they're going to get flabby and you're going to lose your um, – you're going to lose the, the, the muscle memory that you built up. Same thing with balayage. It's all muscle memory. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's like I always say, just practice, practice, practice. Practice and, and, and re-examine your work. Like, look at it, re-examine it. 
Yes. You know, make sure that, you know, you're checking, where can I make that better? Oh, I got a mark in the hair. How can I not get that mark the next time? You know, critique yourself and don't, you know, listen, I used to have hair cutters because they always finished my work. They knew my work better than I did. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? When you're a colorist, the blow dryers, the hair cutters know your work better because you never get to check it through. Exactly. I always encourage people to take photographs of their application to look at it and that they can go back and sort of zoom in on it and see whether is is it lineless, is it faultless, is it a lovely transition? Exactly. That that seamless, you know, balayage. Like, you know, where is it that you're marking the hair? And did you mark it, or was it was it that part of the hair was natural and part of the hair was color treated? And it's never going to come up the same way. Exactly. You know, you're always going to need two glosses for that. And so, you know realizing what do you have responsibility over and what is the hair presenting to you as far as the end result? And then how do you balance that? Right. So I think young hairdressers, young, old, it doesn't matter. Stay with it, you know, because this is not a, a technique that's going away. So Nancy, I want to ask you before we go, what does the future look like for you? Ah, the really great. What would you like to do next? Really great question. Yeah. What does the future hold? I mean, the first the first thing I have to do is solidify the salon after this pandemic, right? Figure out what's it going to be like to get back into the salon. How are we going to work? Are we going to work with masks? Are we going to work with face covers? You know, all of that. Just like, what's that going to be like? Also, how's that going to affect our income? How many people we can do? I think the days of salons being jammed until we have a vaccine is, uh, is not going to happen. So... That's one, you know, issue that's happening at the moment. But what's next as far as like the career and where it goes, you know, I feel like it's going to be online. I feel like there's going to be a lot of education online. Mm. I think, uh, you know, you may start to see uh, maybe more presence out of me online. Oh, uh, <laughs> a little Ooh. teaser. And, uh, and, and also just figure out how to connect with people because we've been amazing at it for the last six weeks because we've used Zoom and we've learned how to use, I, I used Instagram, FaceTime with you yeah. for the first time yesterday. And so we're learning all these new methods. Um, I still think nothing beats hands-on training, you know, to really be with a hairdresser. But yeah, I agree too. in absence of that and because of the situation that we're in in the world right now, I think we have to look at alternative ways of reaching people and connecting them and helping hairdressers realize like, they can earn a lot of money, yeah. but they also have to learn how to protect themselves, especially for something like this that no one could have ever imagined that we'd be. I mean, this is like having a six-week vacation, but but you feel like you're a hostage in your own home. Yeah. So, you know, this is yeah. a different setup, and we're learning as we go. And so I think for me, it'll be an online presence. Um, you know, I still love being in a classroom with hairdressers. You know, there's nothing better than that. Nothing. There's nothing better than a classroom. Um, I think it's about the engagement and the connections, isn't it? And stuff like that. And also but I, body for one, position, don't you think? And, and seeing how yes. they're holding the, the, you know, and it could be just a slight angle that they have to work. Or, you know, sometimes it's just you grabbing their hand and saying, no, you can use more pressure than that. And really just walking them through the steps of what it takes to be a great technician but then teaching them what it takes to be a good professional as far as 
protecting yourself and, you know, not just in the pandemic, but I mean, financially. Financially. I know that it's really hard when you're doing it online to show somebody the angle that your brush is at. It's impossible, you know, but I'm sure there'll be a way around it. And if anybody's going to find it, it's going to be you, Nancy Broad. Well, hopefully it'll be me and and a few other great artists, uh, maybe yourself. You never know. You never know. I wanted to thank you for your time today in LA for uh, an enlightening conversation, a fantastic career so far. And I also personally wanted to thank you again, as I did at the beginning, for changing my career. Thank you Aww. so much, Nancy. Well, you know what? I, I showed you something, but what you did, Jack, is you took it and you flew with it. And not only did you fly with it, you're showing so many other people in Europe how to fly with it. And I think that that, you know, that warms my heart and brings a tear to my eyes when I know that, you know, I was able to show you and embrace something in you that then you could recognize in other people and help them earn a better career. And so I thank you for that because you've really been the gospel over there in Europe. And I know it wasn't easy for you. I know it wasn't an easy start. So, no. um, you know, especially when you... But I think that you've, I think you've done that for a lot of people. Cool. You thank have you. inspired so many people. Amazing. Well, thank you. Great chat. Thank you, Nancy. Um, big kiss, Jack. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favourite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. Hold up. 